Hi everyone, welcome to the Chinese Medicine Podcast. My name is Marie Hopkinson, I'm a herbalist and an acupuncturist. And um, today's episode we're going to be talking about why are we using Western medicine parameters to measure Chinese medicine? Um, that's a question I want to talk about and discuss. And this is an audio-only episode, so this is not going to be on YouTube. I may make another one, another YouTube of it, a video of it for there. But right now I want to just have this focused audio discussion and just want to say thank you everyone who's listens to the to the podcast for their support um of the of the audio there's lots of listeners worldwide um if you have a question about chinese medicine and it's a little bit harder i think with podcasts to put the question because it's, it's not like youtube where there's a little comment box there but you're welcome to send me the question um you can email me at chinese medicine podcast at gmail.com um and, and we also have social medias so i have an instagram it's just called chinese medicine podcast um, i have a facebook page also chinese medicine podcast and the youtube channel so you can send me a message anywhere there if you have a question that you'd like answered on the channel on the audio um, let me know that you are contact me from the audio and i'll make sure it gets put here if you're a really keen listener of this podcast and you like this content there's heaps 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 more on youtube there's lots of videos on there and I've been a bit lazy and I haven't put stuff on there. But I'm starting to make just dedicated episodes just on audio. So why should we think about this question? Why is this important? Um, if you're a student of Chinese medicine, it's highly important. Um, and if you're just a person interested in knowing about the context of healthcare in general, this is important. Um, and I want to sort of open up to other practitioners or other students or people who'd like to have a discussion about this we can do that on the channel. I have a way of um, being able to invite people onto live streams and things like that now, so we can we can do that. So if you'd like to have a discuss about this, hit me up and send me an email or something like that, and we can go from there. So I guess this has become part a part of Chinese medicine in the context of how it's practiced in Australia, particularly. And I realise that lots of people listening to this are you know, in other countries, but I think that this Australian model will probably be rolled out in other places, um, especially if you were to have more um, stringent legislation about the practice of Chinese medicine and whether it's registered and that kind of stuff as well. So in Australia, we have healthcare registration for particular practitioners, and the, the registration system is such that it's there to protect the public it's not there to promote the professions let's say um, and not all healthcare professions are on that register right or, or require their practitioners to register um, but about six or seven years ago maybe eight years ago even chinese medicine acupuncturists and chinese herbalists in australia were required or told we were required to register and without getting into the details of that probably another episode that be a little bit boring for people to listen to it um but part of that has involved um like uh, regulating how chinese herbalists and acupuncturists practice so some restrictions to practice have come in not many but some things and that's usually generally been good for the public and and good for it's good practice it's good um that Let's say, for instance, practitioners have to make sure that they put all the herbs on the labels that they're giving to patients, and that's important. And I, I, there was lots of practitioners 
in the past that sometimes did, sometimes didn't, some didn't at all, some put them in Chinese, the herbs, some put the doses, there wasn't sort of any regulation about that. And what happens is if you're a patient and you've got these herbs, and I'm sure if you're listening to this and you've taken herbs in the past, you've probably had this situation where you've had just the name of the formula and you're like, what is in this? I wonder what's in there. And the practitioner's like, even in China, they sometimes keep these things secret because it's their proprietary, right? And that's another discussion, but Chinese is... Chinese um, culture is very much like that, right? To keep something proprietary, you have to keep it secret. Anyway, um, so that there's some good things that have come in from registration like that. But one of the things that I've been concerned about over the years, and it's only been in the last probably two years that I've, it's really been a concern for me, is because they haven't announced it like, hey, this is what we're doing, but this is this is what they're doing. Um, that they're using a Western medicine framework to measure Chinese medicine. You might think, well, what's wrong with that, Marie? That's, aren't we a Western medicine country or aren't we a Western country? Um, yes, we are. <laughs> but Chinese medicine is the only profession out of all of the registered professions, in, with that say, in Australia within ARPRA. Um, so you have the other professions like Western medicine doctors, surgeons, nurses, um, radiologists, radiographers, I'm not sure what they call themselves exactly, um, but those those professions, um, chiropractors, osteopaths, and uh, indigenous healthcare workers, and uh, a few others, I think. It's probably about 12 professions that are registered. So out of all those professions, Acupuncturists and Chinese herbalists are actually the only ones that operate or practice within a system of medicine that is its own individual system. So when you're learning Chinese medicine as a student, you're kind of taught this is the system of Chinese medicine, this is how it thinks. And that's why like if you're if you're a regular on this channel, on this audio podcast, you know, you'd have heard me talk about how important it is to see a practitioner because that's the only way you'll get a diagnosis. That's essentially what a, what a herbalist and an acupuncturist goes to school for, is to be able to utilise that system of thinking. And it's very hard for a lay person to utilise that system of thinking. And probably people who listen to this are a bit more, um, you probably have a bit more knowledge about it already because you're interested in it. And that's one of the reasons why I made this channel, because I wanted to help people understand that this amazing system of thinking that's what chinese medicine is it's a it's a way of thinking that incorporates hey the environment can cause illness um the our diet can cause illness um and how that causes illness um how that causes disharmony is the system of chinese medicine and then you have things that go wrong with us so when you have illnesses that happen to to a human being you could think about that as a symptom that happens, right? So a patient might come in to me and say, oh, I've got a headache. And that's a symptom, right? That's not a disease itself, just a headache. Or you have a runny nose, let's say. That's a symptom. A runny nose isn't a disease or an illness or a syndrome or something like that. So that classification of what's wrong with you, there's one classification of Western medicine. So they might say, well, that runny nose could mean lots of things. We'll need to do some tests. We need to ask you some questions to find out 
you know, to rule it out and to make it, that's how they make a diagnosis. And it's the same way in Chinese medicine, but we don't, we're not making a Western medicine diagnosis. So let's say a pers- the person actually had what's known as hay fever or allergic rhinitis, and they said, oh, I've got this runny nose. And, you know, they, they you, you ask them some questions and like that's, there's no test that's done. So a GP or a doctor wouldn't, sort of go, well, let's do a blood test and that'll tell us whether you've got allergic rhinitis or not. It's a syndrome or a, or a description of, um, you know, a, the way of making the diagnosis is um, based on the symptoms that the patient has and maybe some tests that are done to rule out other more serious health, you know, health concerns or diseases or things like that, right? So they you, you get that diagnosis. Um now, in Chinese medicine, we are treating people who have these symptoms, but we're not treating them for those diseases because that's not our system, right? So if I had the patient that came in with the runny nose, I don't have to ignore Western medicine and say, well, we don't really care what the disease name is. Um, we do because the patient cares about that. And Chinese medicine practitioners also care about that because it's kind of reckless not to know about that because it's knowledge that we have now. We're not living in the Han Dynasty now <laughs> where we don't know about cancer, where we don't know about other serious health, you know, what those symptoms could be. Um, and it's not like we have to ignore that system, right? So sometimes, well, I'd say probably a third or even more than a third of a Chinese medicine practitioner's course content would be on Western medicine. And there's a huge amount of emphasis that practitioners have to go through um, in their training on what's called red flags and, you know, referrals. And like, that's just because, I mean, I'm a teacher of Chinese medicine in Australia, so I've been around the teaching system for more than 10 years. And over those years, I've seen that change more and more and more to include, be you know, include more information and more, uh, there's more requirements and stress on students to you know like uh, emphasis I should say more emphasis on students to you know be tested on that and to be to be competent in that which is great they should be competent in that um, so when you go to see a herbalist or an acupuncturist they might know a lot about western medicine but they're not a western medicine doctor right and for me let's say I know about western medicine and I can could almost make a diagnosis in western medicine based on someone's symptoms. Um, not that I would ever kind of claim to do that, but let's say, you know, you could see that these, you'd know that these symptoms are red flags for a certain thing. Why you're doing that is so that you can refer the patient to go back to their GP or see, find a, find a doctor or something like that. So they don't, you know, end up with a serious health problem, like, um, you know, something that could have been prevented from progressing earlier on. Like let's say a person had a lump, and they thought it was just nothing and you didn't tell them to go to their GP and they might have cancer or something more serious and there could have been an earlier intervention, you know, and their options were more open to them, more be- better options that they had at the start of the illness and all that sort of stuff. But at the same time, the system of Chinese medicine isn't Western medicine. It's just not. Um, so let's say um, a patient had that, um, that runny nose that, and they had that allergic rhinitis which is hay fever 
a Chinese medicine practitioner is going to like do a, do their own due diligence in their diagnosis and let's say they're going to treat that um, as a Xiaoyang pattern of disharmony, let's say. For me, that's what I would probably think of it as. Again, it depends on the patient's pulse diagnosis primarily for that, but let's just say for argument's sake, it would mostly fit into that pattern. So something that's coming and going seasonally, it's a kind of a Xiaoyang pattern in a classical Chinese medicine sense. In a um, TCM sense, um, it could be seen as like wind heat with an underlying deficiency as to why the body, why the person's continuously getting these wind heat attacks, right? So the Xiaoyang pattern kind of encompasses both of those ideas. It's like saying, well, you don't have enough yang to fully get rid of this pathogen so it kind of lingers around and it's something that becomes cyclical and comes and goes anyway so that's how we would treat it in chinese medicine and no one in this chinese medicine board like not no not no one personally but that what the cmba and that they're they're the people that um basically administrate apra to to the, the board of chinese medicine and they're the ones that are imposing these rules and regulations on Chinese medicine practitioners through the ARPA regulation system. Um, they're not saying you you have to practice in a Western medicine way, right? And they're not saying how you have to practice even in a Chinese medicine way, because like just like I mentioned then, there was two there's two different ways of thinking about it depending on which style of Chinese medicine you practice, right? And there's more there's more styles, right? There's more different ways. Um, that's probably again for another another episode. But my sort of question now and my concern, big concern, is why are we being evaluated at, in a Western medicine paradigm? Now you might say, well, how are you being evaluated, Marie? Well, practitioners have um, recent, like in the recently, I mean, in the last two two or three years, I think it was end of twenty seventeen. Um, where these guidelines came out for the advertising of a regulated health service. That's what it's called. And lots of practitioners were already adhering to many of these principles already, right? So some of these things are things like the not, they, the um, prohibiting the use of testimonials. So that's something that I certainly agree with. And why they have that, um, that regulation, and I, I, I've been adhering to that, long before we had to by law, um, it's seen as like, you know, soliciting business um, on, you know, on the story of one person, um, you know, that might not be the story of everyone. Like, um, so, you know, it's like people saying, oh, I went to, you know, Johnny's clinic and I couldn't walk and, you know, he gave me one treatment and now I can jump and run and skip, <laughs> move around and all the rest of it. Um, now that might be true for Johnny, and it's not. We're not saying that practitioners who use testimonials are um, like p purposefully um, misleading, right? They're not necessarily lying, even like it's not a lie. Not like George Costanza. <laughs> it's not a lie if you believe it. Um, anyway, if you're a Seinfeld fan, you'll understand that. Um, but it's not a lie to say that Johnny you know, was healed or fixed or treated or whatever happened, you know. Um, you know, his skin was blue and then he took these herbs and now his skin's gone back to its regular colour, whatever happened, right? 
Um, but just because it helped one person doesn't mean it's going to help every patient. And this is the old um, snake oil salesman, you know, in the past before you had any regulation of, of any kind of medicine, where you just have people making things up, literally making stuff up, saying, oh, if you drink this, you know, it's a, it's a cure. It's, um, uh, you know, um, so we've kind of gone completely the opposite away from that now, right? And you have very strict regulation in um, the advertisement of therapeutic goods, right? So that's the TGA, the Therapeutic Goods Administration in Australia. FDA in, in America, not sure who does that in the, in the UK, but probably through the NHS. Um, that regulation is of services and products in some countries, or the services are regulated by their various bodies. So, yeah, in America, they don't prohibit the use of testimonials and it's really like their their medicine is highly consumeristic i mean it's not very much different here in australia except for the cost isn't as exorbitant and it's not as crazy as the us um but it's a very big thing where when you've got a consumeristic kind of it's a dog eat dog world right so you if you don't if everyone's advertising using testimonials and you don't then as a practitioner you'll be sort of marginalised or penalised or, you know, some kind of eyesed <laughs> if you don't do that because you, you won't be able to compete, right? It'd be very hard to compete in that market. So anyway, what I'm getting at is why is it a concern to measure Chinese medicine with Western medicine? Because it's not Western medicine. And so then you've got a few conundrums that, have hap that are happening. So one conundrum that we're facing right now as practitioners um, is there's a uh, like this acceptance that Chinese medicine practitioners are just general healthcare practitioners, right? That we are all part of the same system of medicine, where we're not actually the part of the same system of medicine. Um, we Chinese medicine is a, is an a, a different system of medicine. I've always tried to steer away from the word alternative because it makes it sound like woo-woo and hippie. But it is a different system of medicine. So, you know, it used to be classed as complementary and alternative medicine. Um, it's using a different understanding of how the body works and it's a completely different understanding of um, how the body would then be treated, right? So... Again, it's not that practitioners um, who practice Chinese medicine only ever use Chinese medicine, let's say, even on their own self, right? I know plenty of Chinese medicine practitioners that probably should use more Chinese medicine on themselves, and they really just rush out to Western medicine probably you know, too quickly, I'd say. But some, some practitioners, um, you know, they, don't, they obviously can't practice Western medicine unless they're a Western medicine doctor, but many, many practitioners kind of integrate both of them in their patient's care. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's a good thing to do if that's the right thing to do. And it's certainly practitioners should um, enable the patient's autonomy as much as possible. What that means is autonomy is the patient's right to choose, right? So if I have a patient who really, really just wants to use Chinese medicine then that's my job to support them in their decision and to give them as much informed consent as possible, right? Make sure I inform them as much as possible. Now, I've ha I have had some patients that I've almost begged them to go to see a Western medicine doctor because they just assumed or thought that 
might have had a really bad experience with Western medicine. And, you know, that one of, that's one of the reasons why there's a lot of um, emphasis on referraling, referraling, <laughs> referring and red flags and those kind of things for um, students because some patients will only ever see, you know, certain types of practitioners and they might not go and see their GP even though they've got really a really serious infection. I've had a few patients like that, one that had a very serious infection. Um, and I kind of had to come to an agreement with them that, you know, if this didn't get better, that they would seek help with their GP and not just rely on acupuncture or herbs and things like that if, if that was needed, right? Um, but at the same time, this this concern for me is that, that the more we don't stand up for our profession, the more it's kind of eroded from us, what Chinese medicine truly is. And I wonder whether, because of the way Chinese medicine is taught, how there's so much use of Western medicine, talk of Western medicine in it, again, not there's anything wrong with that, and that we need to kind of include that, but that we lose track of what Chinese medicine truly, truly is, that it is a different system. Now, this also is a conundrum for you as a patient or you as a student, you as a practitioner <laughs> listening to this, but particularly, let's say, you as a patient, because what's happening with, the reg with the reg these regulations on Chinese medicine, because they're prohibiting um, the use of practitioners, essentially, if there's, basically, if we don't have what's called sufficient evidence to make a therapeutic claim, then no claim can be made. And what a claim, what they class as a claim is even um, may be able to help, like any kind of insinuation that it could help or it may be able to treat or may be able to, like even just not even use the word treat, let's say, may be able to help, um, that you need sufficient evidence to back up that claim. Now, that sounds good. On one hand, you think, yes, Marie, we don't want charlatans peddling their wares saying, oh, you can, making outrageous claims about things. Um, but one on one hand, there isn't sufficient evidence. So what the CMBA or, yes, probably CMBA more than just APRA, but within APRA, what they deem as sufficient evidence is a questionable thing. And then secondly, how are we going to get that evidence when the practice of Chinese medicine is so highly individualised, it never comes out as a, like, let's say, a sufficient evidence <laughs> level of outcome um, in a, you know, a double-blind research trial, let's say. So I hope I'm making sense in this episode, probably just having a little bit of a ramble, but I think it's kind of a really important point to discuss and, and talk about because at the end of the day, you as a consumer are kind of, you've got your hay fever or your condition or something that's wrong with you and you're Googling for help on those symptoms. And Chinese medicine practitioners are basically prohibited from saying anything about almost any condition now because of these things. So there's about six or seven conditions where there's 
you know, plenty of evidence, let's say, or irrefutable evidence. Pain is one of those things for acupuncture. Um, and it doesn't stop me from seeing patients. It doesn't stop me from treating patients. Um, but it does create a barrier towards patients coming in the door. But because new patients can't find you if they're just Googling, oh, what's the, who could help me with my sinusitis? Who could help me with this or that? Um, you know, the claims that people, that, that's, so, yeah, the, the articles that practitioners can write about is very, very, very limited. Um, and many practitioners who are writing these articles or doing those, or making the, putting that in their advertisements are, you know, um, knowingly or sometimes unknowingly just risking their registration by, you know, mentioning those, those conditions or those things. Um, it's very stressful for practitioners now because they're not sure how they can talk about what they do in because anything you're talking about in a public sense could be seen as advertising. So let's say anything on your social media or something like that. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, the, the content that I put on my channel, on my YouTube channel and on this uh, audio podcast is for educational purposes and I try to make this long form content so that we can have a proper discussion about it and there's a lot of back and forth between you know people on YouTube subscribers and things like that um, and certainly you can still have discussions with your practitioner you know face to face or one on one and I would encourage you if you're in Australia and you're not sure about Chinese medicine whether someone could help you you're much better off calling that practitioner and asking them in person to talk about it because then they can kind of advise you more on your individual situation and to be able to say a lot more about um, how they could help you as an individual because legally that's fine um, versus you know helping a particular condition so um, making claims about a condition is what is kind of the restriction in that sense but it's not so much that I'm saying, oh, I want to have a whinge about we can't make claims about conditions. It's more that I'm, it's just kind of dawned on me now because not just because of this, but because of something else that recently happened with APRA and um, our, our registration, um, that I'm realising more and more that we're not being treated as Chinese medicine, we're not being acknowledged that we're a different system of medicine. We're just being lumped in with the rest of everybody else. And, okay, from a safety perspective, like let's say rec record keeping or um, privacy policies or, you know, those kinds of things, yeah, we, sh we should be treated the same as everybody else. But from a practice of how we practice our medicine, there should be an acknowledgement of that. Um, and I don't think that there is. Um, I don't think that there's enough acknowledgement of it, even if there, even if there is. And um, if we don't protect Chinese medicine now, it'll just die away. It'll be scooped up and become like it is in China, like a hybrid of Western and Chinese medicine kind of scooped in together. There's actually probably more um, proper practitioners of Chinese medicine outside of China than there are inside of China. And what I mean by that is people that are truly practicing Chinese medicine from a Chinese medicine perspective, not this integra integrative Western and Chinese medicine perspective. Now, that's 
making a big claim <laughs> that I can't back up because I don't have any data on that. But that's just from perceiving and watching. I've been to China 11 times. I've been to the hospitals in China many times. Um, and just seeing how Chinese medicine has taken shape in the West versus how it's taken shape outside of China. I'm not saying there's, there's, there's tons, you know, tons of great Chinese medicine practitioners in China, thousands. Um, but there's not a sort of, there's more of a, there's more of an economic incentive to practice Chinese medicine in this hybrid kind of way. Um, and certainly in any economic sense for, for practitioners outside of China or inside of China, um, there's not much economic incentive to practice Chinese medicine in its proper way because it's not a one treatment fits many people. It's very individualised of how it's practised. And that's why there's not much money in even, let's say, herbal medicine. You make a particular formula. Um, you know, we don't have an insomnia formula. We don't have um, a headache formula um, because the way we treat headaches for one patient is going to be different for the other, pa for the other patients because of their constitution. Um, which will show up in their pulse because of what's happened, you know, recently to them. On top of that, a pre-existing constitution, which will show up in their pulse, and you kind of you can't put that into a research study very easily. It's very hard to kind of do that. So that was kind of my rant for today. Um, if you've got a question about this, please um, feel free to send me an email. You can send it to Chinese Medicine Podcast sorry, chinesemedicinepodcast at gmail.com. And you can also ask a question um, about if you've got something that you're interested in getting an answer about. <laughs> I may or may not be able to answer it. Um, so I hope this has been interesting and, um, yeah, interesting to you and useful to you. Um, I also do private consultations from my clinic in Perth, one-on-one, -on -one, and I do them on Zoom now as well. So if you're interested in doing that, you can go to my website. It's bespokemedicine.net, B-E-S-P-O-K-E, bespokemedicine.net. And if you go to that site, you can um, book an online consultation with me um, through Zoom or WeChat, WhatsApp, something like that, and um, we can have a chat one-on-one. -on -one. And I do that a lot for people all over the world that um, want like a second opinion. They might be have taken some herbs before, be really interested in Chinese herbs. Um, obviously, we can't do acupuncture through Zoom. <laughs> Zoom your puncture. We can't do that. But um, it's more about what's going on from a, a diagnosis perspective and also, you know, maybe what styles of Chinese medicine might suit you. Um, maybe talking, I do consults with people that want to talk about um, the theory of Chinese medicine in their, relating to their particular case or students that want to chat about that kind of stuff, um, diet therapy, what kinds of foods, you know, you should sort of include in your diet to help with your diagnosis. So, yeah, I hope this hasn't been too, uh, <laughs> um, I hope it's been engaging for you, um, but I just want to get this off my chest and, um, yeah, put this out there and if people want to have a discussion about that that'd be awesome okay have a great day bye